What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Guard Post. It's our final episode of the first season. I know it was shortened because of the coronavirus really sucks, but it's a good thing that it happened the way it did because it was the correct response by the league. Anyways, we're going to go ahead and get into this. what this episode is going to be about. I'm going to do a recap of the season. I'm going to talk about my true accuracy season-long results, talk about Luis Perez, Matt McGloin, and even Marquise Williams and their results. Then I'm also going to get into a great interview with Alex from Football Game Plan. He interviewed a lot of Guardians players. I cannot pronounce his last name to save the life for me, so I'm sorry, guys. But he's a guy from Football Game Plan, interviewed a lot of Guardians players, like I said, and is a great resource when it comes to understanding how the team was during practice and things like that. So that's going to be a really fun interview. And then I'm going to go ahead and get into what I'm going to do in the future of this podcast and of the content I'm going to create from film breakdowns to scouting to hopefully in future interviews with players and former players discussing what they're planning to do with their future. So I'll get into that near the end of the episode. And that's really going to be it today. It really sucks that the coronavirus ended the season. I'm really sad about that. Only five weeks of football doesn't seem like enough, but we get it for 2021. And that's what I'm going to be preparing for as a content kind of guy moving forward. So it's going to be a lot of fun building up to that 2021 season, getting what we hopefully see in the future. So thank you guys. Cue the intro. This is your host, Zachary Garten, and this is The Guard Post. Alrighty, and we're back from the intro. This is going to be a little bit of a long segment, so make sure you guys buckle your seatbelts. You're on for a little bit of a ride here. We're recapping the season from an offensive, defensive, and special teams perspective. I'm talking coaches. I'm talking players i'm talking position groups so we're gonna be going through all of that here this will be a little bit longer of a segment so i hope you guys enjoy my little bit of a season recap where i highlight some of the highs and some of the lows from this season i'm not doing it from a game by game perspective i'm doing more doing it from a position group kind of perspective and analyzing those guys so we're gonna go ahead and start offensively and we're gonna start with the coaches preferably ga mangus the offensive coordinator I have my reservations about him as a play caller the whole season, but he did get better as the season went along, especially the last two games. Week four and week five were probably his best two games he coached. I know we only scored 17 points in week four, but in week five we scored, I believe, those total of 24 points offensively, which is really good for our team, um, really good for this team to get those that points per game up offensively. And Mangus really grew as a play caller. I think he got more comfortable with Luis Perez under center. I think it's a little worrying that it took him that long to figure all that out, but he eventually did. And it was good to see the offense get back on its feet. But overall, the offense wasn't very good. They were low in a whole bunch of statistical categories. Seventh in total yards, 256, 258.6 yards per game. Fifth in rushing yards per game, 98.6 yards per game. Sixth in average passing yards per game with 160 per game. Eighth in points, four in average points for with 79 total points for the season and 15.8 points per game. We were statistically the worst scoring team in the XFL, which is really worrying when you compare us to maybe, I don't know, we really were the worst offensive team in the league. I mean, consistently, week in, week out, we tended to have low-scoring low games. And while our defense did a good job of keeping us in those games, offensively we weren't able to capitalize. So really offensively, we really struggled. There was a lot of turmoil at the QB. I'm going to start with the QB position. Lots of turmoil there. Not going to rehash the whole McGloin saga. There was a lot of problems with that whole regime when he was starting. There was a lot of 
leadership issues that I did not expect when he was coming in. But even in his first game, he played pretty well from a statistical standpoint. But then things kind of fell apart. Um, Marquise Williams was a do-it-all kind of guy at the QB position. Played a little bit, was inconsistent during that time. Um, But when he was doing other things on the field, for example, in special teams, he was all over the place, and I loved that from him. He 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 forced a fumble on punt, and he had a fake punt. He was an ultimate team guy, really just wanting to get on the field and make plays. Luis Perez is was really good for this offense surprising to me I really underrated his ability to have a calming effect on the mentality in that locker room the mentality on that offense there were some things he could still work on but he was on the up and up week five was definitely his best game one of the and the best game from a guardians QB I'm going to talk about this in my true accuracy segment when I recap week five really quick but he had four touchdown worthy passes he was accurate on 40% of his deep passes, over 50% of his intermediate passes, and it was overall was just really good pushing the ball downfield while making sure he's still making good decisions. He did have one interception that was a little bit of a mixture of his fault and McKay's fault. It was a little bit on both of them, but overall he played really well in that game, accounting for four total touchdown-worthy plays, including a drop by Tail Redding, which really was unfortunate. He really stepped up, really liked what he brought to the team as a whole, and I really underrated his calming effect that he would have on this offense and their ability to move the ball. When he came in, they just seemed to really calm down and make the plays they needed to play, make, even if they weren't the they weren't always big plays. So really underrated that. Although I do expect a lot to happen for the Guardians, and I'm going to get into this in later episodes this year I really expect the Guardians to take a hard look at quarterback and see if they can find another answer I don't know if Luis Perez is the full-time answer if we we can always look to get a more talented kind of guy coming out of college a guy like maybe James Morgan uh, Kelly Bryan a guy like Steven Montez I'm not a huge fan of this film but some of these guys that are fringe NFL guys that have a lot of talent my favorite right now is James Morgan I really like his arm strength, and he kind of has some savvy pocket presence that I like. There's some footwork things that I'm going to get into in the future, probably next week when I do a film breakdown of him, most likely, that I'm going to get into on him. But I really like what James Morgan could bring to an offense like this. But anyways, offensively at the quarterback position, as a recap, Luis Perez really underrated his calming effect, and I do probably expect him to go into next year as the starter if he doesn't end up on an NFL squad, and I really don't think any of you guys really put out enough tape to put be on an NFL squad next year. So Luis Perez is probably going to come into camp as the projected starter for next year. I would expect some more competition in the QB room, though, and see what happens there. Wide receiver was really a tough position to truly assess given the massive amount of injuries we had. D'Angelo Yancey and Tanner Gentry never saw a snap on the field, which is really sad because they are two of the top guys we picked at the wide receiver position. Mikhail McKay was as advertised. He didn't get as many targets as I would have liked him to see, but he played really well when he was getting targets. He had 184 yards and a touchdown, and he had a couple extra point of conversions as well. He was really good wide receiver. Like That's where I really saw he has a good releases on short short and intermediate routes really came up with a different release every time he has the tools to be an NFL receiver I don't know if he'll make it this year just because I don't know if he got the reps he needed to show what he can do I really do like what he brings to the team though really exciting guy that can do a lot of different things at the wide receiver position from a short to deep guy and he's still the big play McKay where he goes up and gets the ball contested catches you really saw that in week five when Luis Perez started trusting him a little more and that was good to see Colby Peterson was a nice surprise 
when you watch him. He led the team in receiving yards with 223 yards. He had two touchdowns, one two, one really long one and one little bit shorter one in week one. He should have had three with a big post in the first week that Matt McGloin missed. Really kind of disappeared in the middle of the season, in the middle of the season there, weeks three, weeks three and four. Um, and week two, week two, week two, three, week four, he really disappeared, but he really showed out in weeks one and three. I mean, one and five. And I think that showed to what he's capable of. I don't know if he put out enough tape. Once again, I'm going to say that for a lot of the guys to make an NFL roster. So I expect him to be back next year, but he's a guy I really like moving forward as a slot or exterior receiver, really guy that can do it all as a number three kind of guy. Jake Powell is really solid at tight end. He was a good threat, a good kind of security blanket for any QB that played. Luis Perez, Marquise Williams, and Matt McGloin. He had 12 receptions for 110 yards. He was targeted, I believe, 16 times throughout the season. And I think he could see an expanding role next year. Once again, not enough tape, but a guy that could maybe show more as the season goes along. He's an athletic big guy that can make a lot of plays as a receiver from the tight end position. Taylor Redding's another guy that pops out. Showed out in camp, kind of struggled a little bit during the season. I really love his, what he has from a skill set, though, and I would love to have him back next year on the team because I think he can really develop and grow into a really big play kind of guy, a really red zone Marvin Jones type of receiver for the Guardians, and I really like what he brings. Hopefully we'll have D'Angelo Yancey and Tanner Gentry back. I don't expect every single guy on this team to be back next year just because some won't want to play football anymore and may retire and stuff like that because it's really been a grind for these guys, but... If they do come back, it's going to be really fun to see a lot of these guys play and see this group develop as a whole. Austin Duke was another guy that was a pleasant surprise from the slot, made some plays in there as well, especially in the screen game. So it was really good to see that. Our running backs now, a really talented and diverse group. Darius Victor's quickness really surprised me. He was fifth in the league in rushing, 238 yards with 4.3 yards per carry. And his quickness really surprised me. I'm When I watched him, in college and a little bit from his preseason tape he didn't look as quick as he did here he didn't show a lot of burst but here in the xfl with the guardians he did show a lot of burst able to pull out 20 yard runs 15 yard runs off of like one little gap that he found and that was really good to see from him because that was my one question his game i know he's not going to ever be a long speed kind of guy where he's able to accelerate and just really separate from guys pulling off 50 to 80 yard runs but what I get from him is a good 20-yard run kind of guy where he can show just enough burst to get around an edge or get through a gap, get to the second level and be in bowling ball and get those 10 to 20-yard gains. And that's something you really like from a running back, especially a guy that you might be able to get at a low cost if you go to the NFL. Once again, with a lot of these guys, I don't know if there was enough tape, but I think that he's a guy that might be able to make a roster just because he's shown that quickness that maybe he didn't have the first time around. And I really like his game. Tim Cook was a, what I expected, a bruiser and a really good pass blocker, which I really like to see. He was in a lot of passing downs where he was really good in that sense, and that was really good to see as a whole. He had 157 yards rushing and 3.9 yards per carry, so he was a bruiser. He didn't get as many attempts as the season went along as Victor kind of took that bell cow role. And as a whole, Tim Cook just was what I expected. Not really a big play kind of guy. He did have that one big run against St. Louis. But overall, not a really big play kind of guy, kind of a bruiser, really good pass blocker. Justin Stockton, I said it multiple times this season, he just needed more burn. He needed more plays, more times touching the ball. When he did touch the ball, he was very effective, as shown by his 8.2 yards per carry. He had only 41 total yards, but 8.2 yards per carry there. And if I looked at his receiving numbers, they'd be around the same, probably about 10 yards per reception, something like that. Because when he had the ball in his hands, he made things happen. He was also a talented returner. 
And you just saw them getting him more and more involved as the season went along. I would love to see what his role would have been in, like, say, a Week 10 game where the playoffs were on the line, how much we would have gotten the ball. Because I think as the season went along, it would have been impossible to keep the ball out of his hands. And that's why I love Justin Stockton, because he has that playmaking ability. And I really hope he's back next year, and I hope they give him more of a feature role because I think he can handle that, and I think he can be the really talented back I can see in him. Now, with Matthew Colburn, he just didn't get enough time. I really couldn't tell you much about his play. I do like his college film. I like what he shows there, and I would love to see that kind of manifest onto the field, but I just didn't see enough from him on the field because he didn't get as much playing time as some of these other guys. So I can't really talk about him that much. But as a whole, this running back group was really talented and really diverse, and the coaching staff did a really good job of developing these guys and making sure they're used in pretty good situations. I mean, Gerald Ingram did a great job, their running backs coach, of figuring out what these guys were good at and plugging them into situations that would help them. I would have loved to see Justin Stockton, like I've said, used more, but they were able to use him in situations that really catered to his ability to work in the open field, which was really good. And that's, I'll be right back. I got to take a little bit of a break here. Got an important phone call, but I'll be back with the offensive line breakdown in a second. Sorry, guys. Had to talk to my brother. He's getting sent out to basic training right now. So I had to make sure I got one last call with him really quick. But we're back now to the episode with the offensive line breakdown. And when I talk about this offensive line, I have mixed feelings. They were inconsistent, but really good at times. Jaron Jones himself is still learning to play left tackle. I can tell just by watching his tape, he still struggles with some of the more technical kind of brainier things a left tackle has to deal with and there's no insult on his intelligence to be very clear I when I was playing I'd played safety for years and I still struggled with recognizing cut recognizing offensive schemes at times so this is nothing against him and his intelligence it's just when you're learning to play a new position it gets it's really hard to do it fast pace in game because sometimes you would you like when you're a seasoned left tackle, you'll adjust to things in game that you haven't seen for maybe years but you're adjusting to in game when you're learning how to play left tackle it's a lot harder but he was still really good at times, but he was very inconsistent. I would love to have him back next year. He's a really good athlete, really talented athletically, and could really be a building pace for this offensive line. I think if he was able to get more more time with, with um, Vin Clark, our um, offensive offensive line coach, I think he would really get a hang of things and get really good just because of how athletic and strong he is and how his body's built for that position. So I think he can really grow there and learn more and more as the season, as the year goes along and as next season grows to become a really good left tackle. And I think he has the ability to do that. So I would love to see him back next year. Just this year, he was a little bit inconsistent at times when dealing with guy, with like speed rushers and stunts. So I think those are two things he could really work on before next year if he does come back. John Kling sadly suffered another injury, which sucks to see because he did that. He had that with the AAF as well while he was like one of the highest graded players there. And he was really good at right tackle. There was times he struggled with speed rushers too. That's one thing you see with not elite level tackles. They do struggle with speed rushers quite a bit, but he was really good for most of the season and it was sucked to see him suffer another injury. Avery Young was actually really good. I was happy with what he did from an offensive line perspective at guard. He was really good, and so was Damian Mama, who stepped in a lot to make a lot of pl- make a lot of plays 
inside. He played center. He played um, he played guard, and he really bounced around a lot. Anthony Coyle was also another very good guard. He played. He was a starter for pretty much the entire season, the only guy that played pretty much every snap offensively and was really good in there at, at guard. Really liked what I saw from him. And then just overall, I mean, this offensive line was pretty – aggressive they were probably our most vocal part of the team offensively I mean just look at Ian Silverman very feisty very aggressive sets the tone maybe sometimes a little too much but I really respect his uh, his willingness to fight for his guys and really defend his team and while sometimes I can get a little bit over the top he did a really good job of being that tone center from center that you really like to see and I'd love to have him back if he can just clean up those personal fouls I think he'd be really really good and wouldn't hurt his team so much because he's a really good really strong center really aggressive it's just sometimes he does get a little bit too aggressive and costs us personal penalties which i understand football's a very emotional game and it takes some time to get keep those emotions in check these are young men so we got to remember that they do tend to get a little feisty um and that's the end of their offensive breakdown overall i do think this offense was growing into something that could be very good with Luis Perez at the helm. Really good run game. Talented receivers that were even getting more talented as more of them came back healthy. The running game was really good, like I said, with talented running backs. Offensive line was starting to gel. They were starting to become more of a unit. Um, and hopefully we could – I was really hoping to see that develop more, but we weren't able to. And now I'm going to go ahead and assign an offensive MVP – probably Darius Victor. He played really well throughout the whole season, being a guy that really surprised me. And it was really good to see him really grow into something special at running back with being that quick and ex more explosive guy than I thought he would be. Now we're going to go ahead and get to our defensive assessment of the season or defensive season recap. And this is where the praise starts. Oh, I loved how our defense played throughout the season. They were the be one of the best groups in the league from a position-to-position -position standpoint. Jim Herman was, in my opinion, the best assistant coach in the league. And when I say that, we got to realize he may not have been the leader of the best defensive group. I, I believe St. Louis probably statistically holds on to that um, category when it comes to points against. But they were run by their head coach. Jim Herman ran this defense by himself from a defensive coordinator perspective and was probably the best defensive coordinator in the league. In the league. Um, he did a fantastic job coaching this defense. To be fair, he had really great talent, which always helps. But he did a fantastic job coaching these defense up and helping them grow every week. And I wouldn't be surprised if he does get some calls for maybe position coaching at the next level. I really hope he stays at the XFL, though, and coaches this defense again because I love to see what he does with working pressures. And he also had a great coaching staff all around with guys like C.J. Alu, Chris Dishman, and a bunch of the other guys, I believe it was um, Kevin Kelly was our linebackers coach who did a really good job. He had a really good defensive coaching staff that helped him a lot. Um, he did a fantastic job to bring this group together and keep the Guardians in games when the offense wasn't performing as much, which was nice to see. The team was second in sacks with 13, fourth in takeaways with eight, second in points against with 85, and second in average points against with 17 average points allowed per game, which is pretty much exactly where you want your defense to be. You want them to allow less than 20 points a game because that puts your offense in a great position to win games because they only have to score three times on three possessions to really be in the lead. And that helps your offense a lot, even if they aren't able to do it at times. So we're going to go ahead and start with our linebackers. The linebackers were really good. I wouldn't say they were elite level, um, just because there were some times that they did get a little bit manhandled in the run game. Running Run defense was probably our worst statistic. But 
overall, this was a very good group. Ben Heaney was all over the field, really fun to watch as a leader and as a defensive play caller. Ryan Mueller was a Ryan Mueller. I apologize. I don't know why I do that. Ryan Mueller was a great surprise and stabilizing force along the defensive line and linebacker group. His experience really brought a lot to the team from maybe just a learning perspective or even just on the field. You see him work his technique to perfection. I just remember that pick six that he had was perfect technique on how to play a cut block and then a screen. He did a great job fighting off the cut block and then just being able to get up and recognizing screen and jumping up and trying to get his hands on the ball. And you love to see that with a, with a group. Kevin Kelly did a great job of making sure this all around group of linebackers was also very well used. Frank Ginda showed out in limited snaps. I love Frank Ginda. He was used perfectly in special teams and on run heavy downs against run heavy teams. He was able to work downhill and make plays against the run, which I really love to see. Um, Dewan Hines was solid all around, good in coverage, good as a linebacker, really made a lot of plays there. and It was really fun to see him grow as well. And this whole linebacker group was really good. Grant Garrett Dooley, when he was healthy and playing, he made plays in limited snaps. Um, overall, this is a really good group of linebackers that I like to watch. The defensive line was surprisingly good as the year moved along. They started off a little slow, and that's fine. Pass rush usually starts off a little slow in new leagues on new teams. But Bunny Rotini is a guy that was rock solid all year long, showed great tools in the run defense, and even showed some pass rushing skills as well. He had five QB hits, four tackles for a loss, and one sack. Overall, he was just really good as a defensive defensive lineman. Didn't show the burst or bend that I would like to see from an NFL guy. That's why I don't know if he'll get the look that he deserves from the NFL. But a really good run defender can really work on the inside at like a 5-tech and a 3-4 defense. Could really see him there because he's really strong. And I really liked what I saw from him. Um, Savon Walker is another guy that I just loved. I believe he does have NFL level talent from a three to five tech kind of guy in a three, four defense, or maybe an interior pass rusher in a four, three. He had four and his half sacks, nine QB hits and five tackles for a loss. He may not be an elite level NFL talent, but I do believe he has at least rotational player level talent for the NFL. And I think some teams are going to get a gift when they pick this guy up to be a rotational player on their team on a very cheap deal. Cause I think he's a guy that can produce probably three sacks in the NFL in a season at really key times as a rotational player. When I take about rotational players in the NFL, I'm not talking about a guy that gets 10 sacks in a year. This is a guy that'll probably get three, maybe five on a good year sacks a year with a lot of just being the guy to be there and help out and make sure that you guys are having a dramatic fall off when you rotate guys in. And I think he's a really good guy for that. I really like Savon Walker. He has really good quickness, good hand speed. I think he can work on his array of moves, but that's just something that comes with growth and experience, but good hand speed, good strength, good, like really good athlete as well. So it's really something I'd like to see from Savon Walker. And I think he can even continue to grow and get a lot better. Um, our three interior guys, Toby Johnson, Joey Mbu, and TJ Barnes, played a consistently good level. They were pocket pushes for the most part and it really affected the run. They were really good against Dallas and Los Angeles in those last two games. And it was really good to see those guys step up and really be a big presence inside and do exactly what they're asked to do. Joey Mbu was a little bit more of a pass rusher when he played, which I like to see. He showed some hand quickness and some hand fight. That was really good. But overall... Toby Johnson, Joey Mbou, and TJ Barnes were just really good at their role, which was to be a presence on the inside, eat up blocks, stand their ground, and allow linebackers and defensive ends to have free run at whoever has the ball, and they did a really good job of that. 
Jarrell Owens also showed flashes of being a really good pass rusher. He's a guy I like moving into next year to be more of a situational guy. It's a third and long. You throw him in, allow him just to rush the passer from either an interior or an exterior spot. He showed really great bend at times, really good quickness, good hand fight. I think that's the one thing he probably needs to work on the most, though, is his hand fighting, making sure that he doesn't always have to rely on like maybe speed or his bend to get to the quarterback. And... That's something that I believe he'll grow and learn from, especially from C.J. Ayu, who's done a fantastic job with this defensive line group and really helping them grow. As you saw their improvement week to week, which is a really good indication of the of the coach. And C.J. Ayu did a fantastic job of growing this group week to week to week. And I would love to see him back next year. I think he's a really great coach, and I would love to see him back coaching this defensive line next year and helping them grow. And then we're going to go to my favorite group on the team, the defensive backs. Holy cow. A lot of people were hyping them up. I was too as probably the most well-rounded and best defensive back group in the league, and they did not disappoint. Jamar Summers was as good at advertised. Drayvon Askew-Henry was a revelation and played at an extremely high level those last two games. Ranthi Dejada was as good as I said he was going to be in his limited snaps, really took an expanded role in those last three games and played well in every single one of those games. Both safeties, A.J. Hendy and Andrew Soro, were rock solid throughout. They never gave up any big plays except for maybe one or two in the L.A. game. But overall, they're just really good throughout the season, and they both played at high levels, making plays in the run and on the pass. The team overall had great depth at the defensive line at defensive back position, pardon me, with guys like Bryce Jones. Later in the season, it was Xavier McKinnon. I believe that's his name. And then it was also... DeWan Neal in those first couple games. Overall, this group just had really good depth. Wesley Sutton's another name that pops to mind. Demetrius Cox, who had a very big role in special teams. Overall, this defensive back group just had a lot of depth. And seeing guys get traded from that is a good signifier of that. Like guys like David Rivers, who played a lot for St. Louis. Seeing guys like that trade, it shows that we have a lot of depth in this DB group. And when we talk about guys like Jamar Summers, who had, I believe had two interceptions, maybe just the one against LA but overall played really well Drayvon asked you Henry those last two games man that was some fun film to watch because he just locked down that side of the field they targeted him I believe almost eight times in that Dallas game and he just locked that side of the field down really was a revelation at that outside corner spot I slotted him as a safety he started out in the slot played pretty decently I think I wasn't overly surprised or stunned by his ability to play in the slot those first two games, but then they moved them to outside corner. Those last, I believe, last three games, maybe last two or three games, and he really thrived. I was surprised with how well he played overall, and he just really stunned me almost in what he was able to do. And if he comes back next year and continues to play at that outside corner spot and continues to work on his game from that outside corner spot, I think he could get a shot at the league because I think he's really good there. Jamar Summers is another guy. As good as advertised, think he deserves a shot at the league. I'm surprised he's not in the league right now as a rotational corner or a slot corner. I think he has the man coverage ability to do it. I think the one thing he does kind of lack, and most of these corners are going to lack, is that straight line speed, and that's where he kind of struggles. He's not as A-plus as an athlete as some of those elite corners, but when you're not an elite corner, you don't always need that. So I really like what he brings to the team. I think... Jamar Summers, if he doesn't make the league, I hope he's back next year. He deserves all the playing time he gets. I think he would have been an under-the-radar candidate for Defensive Player of the Year just for locking down an entire side of the field all year. Rantha Tejada, 
another, I believe, NFL talent. I think he's really good, but he got limited snaps. And if Jamar Summers leaves, I think he could really slot in as that outside corner next year. I don't see him making the NFL just because of his limited snaps. I do think he deserves a shot, though, and I really hope he gets one, to be very clear. Now, both safeties... When I talk about these guys, they didn't maybe have such an impact on the box score or in the stat sheet, but man, oh man, they were solid all year. They never really gave up too many big plays. Andrew Soro was probably really good. AJ Hendy was a team captain. These guys were really good leaders, play callers in the back half, and just really showed their stuff all year. They were real. I was a little worried about the safety position going in. I didn't think we had the range we needed. But Andrew Soro and AJ Hendy, NJ Hendy proved me wrong. They were both fantastic throughout the year, and I was really happy to be proved wrong by them because they were fun to watch throughout the whole year. It was fun watching their film. I really hope eventually we'll get that um, all 22 so I can take a better look at what these guys did all year. Um, but if I don't, I just know I enjoyed what I did see from them. And Chris Dishman, man, I just I can't talk enough about them. He found the exact role for these guys, put them, slotted them in there, and they did exactly what he needed them to do. Chris Dishman, like I said, like I've said, this is a very talented group coming in, but he got that very talented group and made them even better into the best defensive back group in the league. And he deserves a whole ton of praise for how well this team did defensively because of what this group defensive back group did. I mean, a lot of our sacks early in the season were coverage sacks where the DBs were back there covering for five seconds and then our pass rush finally got there. So Chris Dishman did a fantastic job with this group. From day one, and I was cannot be happier to talk about a group of guys like this group of DBs because I believe they are the best group in the league and they deserve all the praise they could get for how well they performed these through five games. And I think that would have continued through ten games and hopefully into the playoffs. So this was a very group of good group of guys. You may not see it in the interception numbers, but man, oh man, they just locked receivers down, and you love to see it. And when we talk about that defensive back group, the defensive MVP for this team has to be Jamar Summers. I know people will slot Savon Walker. And he's very deserving of some praise there. I believe he's probably a first-team all-XFL um, kind of guy. But Jamar Summers really was just the staple point for this team going into the season, and he just proved it over and over again throughout. I know he was gone for the first half of that Dallas Renegades game. Don't know why, but even when he came back, he was locked down in that Dallas Renegades game. So Jamar Summers deserves all the praise he can get. He's the defensive MVP for me for this team. And then totally totally deserves to be shot in the NFL I believe he's that good now when we talk about special teams I'm not going to go very in-depth for this this segment's already gone probably about almost 30 minutes so it'll be kind of quick here Marquise Williams was that guy on special teams worked in a lot of different ways was a real team player forced a fumble got a fake punt for a first down really was just all over the field he was always one of the first guys down there trying to make a tackle really good to see from him as even as a quarterback, I mean, he's just there to try to make plays and help the team. And I love to see that from a guy like him. He just shows he's enjoying playing football, whether he's starting, whether he's not. He loves to be on a team, loves to be in that environment and helping the team win. And I love to see that. Uh, Matt McCrane and Justin Vogel were good all year. McCrane was perfect. He's probably my first team all pro kicker for the league. Justin Vogel's up there for punter. And really all year, they were both really good. Really good to see. Austin Duke was a good punt return guy. Really solid back there. At times, he did dance a little bit too much, but that's with most punch returners. They love to dance. And even when I was a kick returner back in eighth grade, I was not very athletic. Sorry, guys. I'm going to be honest with you. Back when I was a kick returner in eighth grade, I loved to dance and stuff, so I totally understand that. There was times when I thought he could be more decisive. This is a guy watching football, not playing it. There was times I, I thought he could be more decisive, 
but overall he was really solid, really good, didn't make mistakes, which is really good to see. Stockton had a couple really good returns. I think he would have taken one back at by the time by the end of the season. He really had that one that was super close that he get that the defensive back had a really good angle and made a play there. But Stockton would have had a chance to take one back this year. Would have loved to see that develop into something a little bit more. Really happy to see that. And special teams overall, I think my special teams MVP would be a tie between Matthew McCrane and Marquise Williams. Personally, Marquise Williams, just because I love what he did. Playing quarterback, you never really play special teams. It's just not something you do. And Marquise Williams was put there and played there and really made an impact in limited snaps on the punt team. And that's why I'd probably name him my MVP special teams-wise. Because Matt McCrane did his job. He made his kicks. He did a fantastic job of it. But Marquise Williams did something that he doesn't usually do, made a lot of plays there, and it was really nice to see him step up as a team player and do that. So it was really fun to watch, and he'd probably be my special teams MVP. And overall, just a really quick recap, this team was always fun to cover. I mean, there was always some type of drama, and you know that's not something you always want to associate with, but I always thought the the teams like the Patriots would be kind of boring to cover at times because there's never drama because that team's very well run, it's very well organized, and they don't really have a lot of turnover and stuff. Oh, they lost a game once. Oh, oh well, that sucks. Um, one coach was disappointed in the loss. Oh, I covered that. It just didn't seem fun to cover. I'm really happy we had some drama, really interesting cover. We had our ups and downs as a team, which was fun. Um, and it was great to see them turn it around. After a one and two start, they won the next two games, one a little bit closer than the other. The second one was very divisive. And we really won that game because a lot of great athletes were starting to turn their games around. And it was really fun to watch that. Um, Gilbride did a good job of handling some of the early controversy with like Matt McGloin and a whole bunch of other stuff. And Ian Silverman and all that. He did a really good job of handling a team that was falling apart. And it was good to see him after what in the NFL, what looked like kind of a failure as a head coach, really handle all this controversy turn it on its head and start building a winning team again and with a winning record. Even if it was only five games in, he ended with a winning record. I believe he deserved, uh, we would have deserved a shot at the playoffs and we probably would have earned it if we kept playing the way we were. Now, if we would have, that's a different story, but we had home games against both conference opponents. And I think we would have had a shot to make the playoffs and it would have been fun to watch. Um, but overall, Gilbride did a good job of handling the early controversy and steering the team in the right direction. I was happy to be part of the covers of the team. I appreciate all the communications department folks for allowing me any access I was able to get. And then overall, it's just been fun interacting with guys like Ryan Mueller, Ranthi Tejada, um, anybody really. Scott Daly I interacted with a little bit. All these guys I interacted with were just really fun to interact with and talk to, and I really hope I'm able to talk to more of them as they go on and figure out more about their journey. And if they decide to come back, I'd love that. But I'd love to talk to these guys as the season develop, as the rest of the off season develops, and what does, when they decide what they want to do. So it's gonna be really fun. Um, I really appreciate being a part of the coverage. I really appreciate you guys for listening to me this season. I hope you guys listen to me through the off season. I understand if you guys kind of tune me out a little bit, I'm going to try to put out content though. We weekly video wise, I may slack off here and there, but weekly video wise and bi-weekly podcast wise, I'll talk about this more in my plans for the off season, but it's been a lot of fun. And then really quick, I just want to hand out a, a postseason award that I'm going to try to do every year. And it's the most fun to watch on film award from me. I might figure out a name for the award eventually, but just right now, it's the most fun to watch on film award. 
And at this, this is where I steer away from the obvious picks, guys like Jamar Summers, Mikhail McKay, and Darius Victor, kind of my offensive MVPs and defensive MVPs, and pick one or two guys that I just love to watch on film because of their ability and what they do so well. And the first one's Drayvon Askew Henry. I really love what his game does. I love how he plays the corner position and what he does defensively and how he really seemed to develop throughout the season. He was a lot of fun to watch throughout that. And then another guy would probably be, I mean, Savon Walker. Maybe that's a little bit obvious. I don't know. But I really loved what he was able to do from a pass rushing standpoint. He was really talented there. It was a lot of fun to watch. I know these are both defensive guys, but Draymond Askew Henry and Savon Walker, congratulations. I know this award means nothing to you, but you guys were the most fun for me to watch on film because I really liked you guys' skill set. Thank you guys so much. This is the end of this segment. I'm going to go into the end of season from accuracy where I take more of a deep dive into the quarterback play. Who played really well throughout that game. We'll really right good performance, really pushed the ball downfield a lot more, which I really liked. I mean, he had five deep passes and seven intermediate passes for a total, 12 passes, 10 yards deeper down the field, which is really good compared to his previous weeks and the previous performances from all our quarterbacks. And he was generally accurate on those. He was 40% accurate on downfield deep passes, and he was 57% accurate on intermediate passes, showing that he was really good in those areas of the field, which is really important for a run-heavy defense because that spreads the other team out, make sure they can't just stack the box, and really limit our run, our run game as a whole. So him being able to push the ball downfield generally accurately and make plays in that in that part of the field really good. I thought his pocket presence was really good. We ran the shotgun quite a bit with him. In this game, I mean, we were shotgun 30 out of the 34 passing plays. He was, he threw the ball in less than three seconds or had less than three seconds in the pocket in 27 of those 34 plays. O-line didn't play great. He was still hit six times. Only took one sack, though, which is really good. And overall, he just did really well. I mean, he only had one turnover-worthy play, I believe, and... Let me double check that, of course. Yeah, only one turnover-worthy play compared to four touchdown-worthy plays. He had to deal with six drops, which isn't really good, and that really hurt him throughout the game, even one touchdown-worthy drop. So overall, great game from Luis Perez, a lot better than his Week 4 game, and I really was expecting him to keep growing before the season was canceled, of course. Really expecting him to keep growing as the season went on. And personally, he just really balled out and made smart decisions there. And now we're going to go ahead and get to full season talk. We're going to talk about everybody's performance we're gonna start with Matt McGloin this is just from a football perspective he started out pretty good week one I mean he missed some opportunities deep he was in week one I believe he was accurate only one deep pass compared to out of his five total deep passes so 20% accuracy in week one in week two I believe he had five deep passes was not accurate on any of them so not very good I believe on the season he was only nine percent accurate on all his deep passes which is not acceptable from a quarterback you have to be better there and then another thing that was really unacceptable from a quarterbacking standpoint is his touch his turnover worthy play percentage was higher than his touchdown worthy play percentage his touchdown worthy play percentage 1.5 percent while his turnover-worthy play percentage was 5%. So that's not a good ratio to have. You need to have that touchdown-worthy play percentage higher than your turnover-worthy play percentage because otherwise it just means you're turning the ball over too much. You're giving the other team opportunities to take the ball away from you way too much to be a successful quarterback long-term. And it's a good thing he was pulled because it was kind of just falling off the rails for him after week one. I mean, week two, he didn't play well. Week three, he struggled again. Week three, he was... 
didn't even throw. He only threw one deep pass, was inaccurate on that. So overall, he just really struggled. He was playing a little bit better week three, like from a medium passing perspective. I mean, overall, he just was not very good. Medium accuracy, he was accurate on, I believe, yeah, five, 50% of his passes. He was accurate on, oh, I looked at the wrong number, my bad. He was actually accurate on 69% of his medium passes, but only accurate on 9% of his deep passes and 81% of his short passes. Not very good. He was pressured on, let's see, 38% of his snaps. He was, he was hit, his hip, he was hit on 46% of those pressures, which I believe the total pressures. I'll look at that in a second. Sorry, guys. Yeah, and then I went over it. Um, he had a 34%, he had a 3% drop percentage, and his true accuracy overall was 67.2%. Not terrible, but really not a great number overall. When you look at it, you want it to be in the 70 percentile range for an accurate quarterback. A really good quarterback will usually be in that 70 percentile range. As a whole, and Matt McGloin's wheels just really kind of fell off after that week one game where he handled the he had good poise and stuff. His pocket presence just went down overall, and I really expected him to be better than he actually played because he was a veteran presence. But you can see possibly why he just wasn't really didn't make it at the highest level is because of his arm strength and his deep ball accuracy. It wasn't very good at that level, and you just really see that kind of fall off here once the first game was over, and people kind of picked up on that. Next quarterback we're going to talk about is Marquise Williams. Not a lot. He was inconsistent in his limited snaps. He only had 34 total passes compared to compared to the let me find it here, the 68 of Luis Perez and the 58 of Matt McGloin. So both those guys had a lot more passes than him. But of those 34, he was generally pretty inconsistent um, overall. Marquise Williams was accurate on 50% of his medium accurate passes. 0% on his deep balls and 69.2% on his short accuracy. Overall, not the most accurate guy. He was never the most accurate guy in college, to be fair. He was pressured a lot, though. He's pressured 16 times on his 44 passing plays for a per- percentage, pressure percentage of 36.4. Um, and in limited snaps, it's a really high percentage. So that's not very good. He had the um, the highest sack per pressure percentage with 31.3% sack per pressure percentage. So he'd per pressure, he'd have 0.313 sacks and that's not very good. That means he's getting sacked pretty much a third of the time he's pressured. He was hit 62.5% of the time he was, he was pressured as well. So that's not good at all. His turnover worthy play percentage and his touchdown worthy play percentage was also not the right ratio. He had, a nine percent um, turnover worthy play percentage, while it was only a two percent touchdown worthy play percentage, that can be attributed to limited snaps. It doesn't allow those numbers to dilute very much, considering he wasn't in the red zone a lot and didn't have a lot of touchdown worthy plays. So that really hurt his percentage. He had to deal with five percent, five point nine percent drop rate, which isn't very good, but not as bad as we'll talk about for the next guy. And his overall true accuracy was 64.7%, which once again, not a very good percentage, but he was never really known as an accurate passer. I was really pushing for him because he was a pretty good athlete. He ran the ball only a couple times, but he did run it for a touchdown there at quarterback. And you kind of saw what his athleticism could bring in certain snaps, especially on like a fake punter stuff. And he brought a lot to the team, but from a quarterbacking perspective, he was pretty inconsistent in limited snaps. And now we'll go ahead and move on to Luis Perez. I talked about this a little bit in my season recap, but I really underrated the calming presence 
that about Luis Perez on that offense and on his own game. I mean, he was getting more and more confidence as the season went along in his two starts, but overall, I think he was pretty good. He was accurate on 33% of his deep passes, accurate on accurate on 50% of his medium passes and 90% of his short short attempts. He dealt with he was pressured on 33.3% of his snaps, which is a little high, but not as high as the other two. So the defense, offensive line was getting better. He was sacked about a quarter of the time per pressure. So one-fourth out of one out of every four pressures usually ended in a sack. He was hit 60% of the time. He was hit a lot, so that's not a very good percentage there. The one highlight that's really high about him is the fact that his touchdown-worthy percentage was a lot higher than his turnover-worthy play percentage. So his touchdown-worthy play percentage was 8% of the time. So 8% of the time on any throw, it was a touchdown-worthy play. While turnover-worthy percentage, only 1.3% of the time was any throw he made worthy of a turnover, or any play he made worthy of a turnover, which is a really good ratio. You want that to be but 1% or lower, and 1.3 is not bad at all. I'd love to see that ape that touchdown-worthy percentage at about 8% is not bad, actually. If you look at some of the pros, I'd have to chart a whole season of a pro quarterback, of like, an, not a pro, but a NFL quarterback, but some of the best, their TD percentage is probably right around the 8% weight because they take a lot of, they throw the ball a lot. So I might do that. I have a lot of time now. Game Pass is free now, so I might go ahead and just take a look at all that, at that touchdown-worthy play percentage and kind of chart that across the league and see what kind of happens. But really liked his ability there. Really good at just being a calming presence. I mean, his numbers were good across true accuracy. I'd have to look at his air yards. I don't know how good his air yards were, but overall he played really well. He did have a problem with drops, though. That's not his fault. There's a receiver thing. He was had drops on 12.5% of his passes, which is very high. I mean, to be fair, there was only 74 attempts, I believe, for him on the season. So, yeah, it was 64 attempts total, total passes. So 12.5%, which I believe is going to be eight drops on the season. Pretty high number. He had one TD drop, which is a very good. And overall, he just made a lot of plays. Really calming presence on the offense. Really brought an identity to the offense that was really good. And I really liked what he brought there. Luis Perez was probably the best fit for this offense moving forward. I wouldn't be surprised if we brought somebody else in. A guy like maybe James Morgan that I've talked about a little bit on Twitter. But overall, a really great group. Really excited for what this team can bring move forward with Luis Perez. Sadly, the season's over. We don't get to see it end with Luis Perez at the helm. I think he could have really continued to grow, and hopefully he wouldn't have dropped off like he did at times in Birmingham in the AAF. I really don't think he would have. I think we have a really strong run game, stronger than the Birmingham Irons there because they had a really low, the Iron had a really low yards per carry, while we had a pretty high one with um, 3.9 from Tim Cook and 4.6, I believe, from Darius Victor. So very high there, and I think that would have been a really calming presence on Luis Perez too and really helped him build his confidence as the season moved forward. So that's really it for the true accuracy, true accuracy season long. I'm going to try to talk to some people about hopefully getting a graphic built for that. I tried. I'm really bad at it. So I'm going to try to get that going moving forward, see what I can figure out there, and hopefully we can get something really cool moving forward for those graphics. Once again, thank you guys for listening. I really enjoy doing this charting, so I'm going to try to do it moving forward. Let me know if you guys want me to chart any of the other XFL quarterbacks. I don't know if I'll be able to make that a priority because I'm going to try to do other content moving forward, but I'd love to maybe do it if I have some time here or there. So I want to thank you guys once again for kind of just listening. We're going to go to break, and then we're going to have a great interview with Alex 
Marinor, Marinoni. I probably said his name wrong once again, but he's a great resource. It's going to be really fun to talk to him about the Guardian season and what's going to go happen moving forward. Um, and we'll be right back after break. Welcome back from break. I just want to introduce to you guys our guest today, our reporter and XFL insider for Football Game Plan and Worldwide Sports Network, where he's going to be starting up a new show, Alex Marinoni. Sorry if I said your na- last name wrong. I struggle with last names consistently. How are you doing today? I'm good, and that was perfect, actually. Not uh, bad for a first shot. Absolutely. Thank you, man. All right. I'm excited to have you on. I know we've all been kind of struggling with the XFL just ending and the kind of the lack of content and news we're able to create with that how have you been handling it uh it's been tough i mean thank god the nfl decided to uh keep itself going for the offseason just for everyone's sanity but it, it's tough because we were we were all uh, we were all the way in on um on the xfl and covering it week by week i was putting out i just put out my week five rankings for play rankings that i do every week and was getting really into it and was really excited especially guardians wise covering them because they were really hitting a stride, and then when that came down and hit everybody, it was just it's it, it was tough, and it's it's been tough to bounce back because of obvious reasons with the NFL. None of the guys have been signed yet either, so it's, it's yeah. been tough to kind of keep it going. Absolutely, absolutely. So I know we were just talking about the XFL right there. But let's take a step back real quick. Let's talk about um, talk about you as a writer, as a sports kind of insider. How did you get into football? How did you get into covering football? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. Yeah, um, I mean, I was I'm a defective accountant. I was uh, another career before this, and then uh, you know just had enough days of waking up and doing that. Uh, passion's football. I played football my whole life, and um, just very involved into it, the ins and outs, both on the field and the stuff behind the scenes, and in uh, baseball too. I'm, I'm a little bit of both, but uh, especially with the way I've been covering football, I go to uh, the Connecticut School of Broadcasting, and that's where I meet um, Emery Hunt, who runs the football game plan. And uh, he took on a couple of us to kind of help contribute to his product. And um, it went from just doing simple little FCS whip arounds and uh, stuff, little five minute little hits here on YouTube to um, a legit content. And he has us on his XFL game day show and uh, as well as some of his other NFL shows. So uh, it just kind of ballooned into that by the work we've been putting in. And he's uh, he was able to get us credentials. Um, to cover the Guardians, and uh, and it was just from there, it just kind of started to take off. And that's awesome. It's really great to hear that story. What position did you play when you um, played back? In the day? Uh, quarterback and safety. Quarterback and so, safety. Um, a, fellow, a fellow defensive back. I, I appreciate that. Okay. From being a safety my whole life as a defensive back. Um, position I agree. I'm pretty, pretty sure you were happy when you saw how good the Guardians were back there in the secondary then. Absolutely. It was one of the, between them and the defenders on the preseason ranks, they were like the two that I was just so excited to see. And just the way they played all year was, was pretty remarkable. Jamar Summers coming up with big plays and uh, it just seemed like they had that bend, but don't break attitude. They never really got beat deep. They just, they constantly stayed together. And then, uh, and they really tightened up in in the red zone. It was really, really fun to watch. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, 
another guy on that second row, Javon Askew Henry and Ranthi Tejada too. Both those guys really kind of showed up late later in the season. I know it was a very short season, but later in the season it really made a lot of plays and I really enjoyed watching them too. But Jamar Summers, like you said, I think he deserves a shot in the NFL. I mean, when you watch him week in and week out, he just continually makes plays, locks down one side of the field. And I think he could do that maybe not as effectively just due to the increase in talent in the NFL, but to an effective level as to where he deserves to be on a 53-man roster in the NFL. Without a doubt. I think there's a number of Guardians guys that we can see in the NFL, and I'm not sure how many are going to be prominent roles or anything crazy like that, um, maybe given the chance with some sort of situations, but I definitely see a lot of these guys getting a shot because, I mean, and not just the Guardians. I think a lot of these guys in the XFL, these were fringe NFL players anyway. These are guys that were on the special teams and, we're getting some time burn anyway. Now getting another full season, getting some more tape with other professional athletes. It's going to, it's going to skyrocket when they're able to start signing these guys. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And I was really interested. I did see the news come out recently that they're still kind of figuring out the logistics. So that could be why we haven't seen any, um, any guardians signed. Is that, do you have any, um, intake or any like news on that, that you've heard or anything like that? Yeah, I just saw that. And I can't tell if it's the NFL being petty because the XFL is doing the right thing. They're, they're allowing these guys, if they get real deals, to leave their contracts. And, uh, and that's, that's a great thing that they're doing. Um, and it just seems like the NFL just, uh, they don't like the fact that they're still considered XFL assets and XFL property. Yeah. Um, people were trying to compare it to the AAF where they weren't letting the guys go for, um, right away when the, when the, team, um, the league folded. But it, it's different because the XFL is going to be around. Um, and I, I, I don't, I don't get what, what the issue is. I think it's a great thing that the expo is doing is allowing these guys to, to have the opportunity to play at the NFL and the CFL for that matter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just find it weird and I haven't found anything else more into it, just that they're, they're just kind of being a little uh, stingent with it. And they're just letting all the teams know that they're not ready to sell. I, I would have to think it's gotta be some sort of legal thing that they're trying to work out and, um, there's got to be something that they just haven't told anyone yet, but until that's sold, I'm just looking at the NFL being a little petty. Yeah, I can totally see that. Um, Roger Goodell tends to be like that. Uh, from what I've seen and heard, I'm not a huge fan of him personally, but I think it's going to be really interesting to see when they finally do get that cleared, what happens with those guys. And if they don't make the final 53, do they come back to the XFL in the same team that, with the same team that they were originally signed with. I believe that's what's going to happen. And I think that's really good for the XFL because it builds name recognition, different things like that with these teams. Um, who are some of the players that you believe deserve a shot in the NFL, but you would love to see back on the guardians next year? Oh, I would love to see every single player back next year. <laughs> I really would because the way this team was hitting their stride, I, it, was, it looked like they were on the verge of something really special and on the verge of some sort of run. Um, but I think uh, from the defensive side, at the start, I think Kevon Walker is definitely a guy that's going to get some NFL interest. The way he was disruptive uh, this year up front, both in and out, really. He was mainly on, as a D tackle in the A gap, but he was he could play in and out. Um, his four and a half sacks led the league, nine uh, tackles for losses. He was constantly in the quarterback space. Uh, this guy, there's definitely not a shortage of those kind of guys in the NFL. So I think he's going to get a shot, maybe as a rotational piece, and maybe he works his way up, but. He's a guy that if he gets a shot, I would love to see back. Um, and I think uh, the way they had two linebackers, Frank Inda and, uh, and Ben Heaney, they were all over the field. And uh, I just can't imagine guys with those kind of motors. Um, 
don't find a spot in the NFL, but I would love to see those guys back speaking defensively. Oh yeah, Frank Ginda. I'm a huge fan of Frank Ginda. He's one. Of, he's one of the reasons I chose the Guardians as a team because I was a fan of him when he was with the San Diego Fleet in the AAF, and then I saw him get drafted to the Guardians. That immediately drew to, drew me to the Guardians, and he really does have a really big motor. He's really great against the run. What I've noticed, he didn't get a ton of snaps this year. He was kind of a more of a rotational linebacker, so that could kind of limit his possibility of making it to the NFL. But Ben Heaney's definitely mm-hmm. a guy I could see getting a chance in camp because he's been a very prominent piece special teams wise, or even just as a rotational guy on some NFL teams and the proving he's healthy and able to play at that same level might get him a shot in the, in the NFL this season when it comes to camps. I think so too. And also he's a guy that spent some, a little time in the NFL has a sack to his name in the NFL um, with the Raiders. So I think he's a guy that, uh, that I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised with the way he led this defense and made all the calls. I wouldn't be surprised if he found a spot. Absolutely, Sam. And offensively, now that we're moving over there, is there any guys you could see making the jump? I know our offense was not the most productive group in the league, but is there any guys you could that you could see making that jump to the NFL? And would you like who would you like to have back? Uh, well, again, well, I'd love to have all of them back, and kind of like how you were in the AF. Um, having uh, Frank Inda as a guy that you were following and a big reason why I chose the Guardians. I was a huge fan of Luis uh, Perez in the AAF. And then uh, I saw that he started out with LA and then came over here to New York. And I was very into hoping he would get a chance. Not that I was rooting against Matt McGloin in any way, but um, just seeing, knowing he can be and hoping he would get a shot in this offense. And we all saw it. I mean, he uh, won his two games and, He's a guy that would be interesting if he if he found a spot in the NFL. I would love to see him back with the Guardians and as the starter on day one and really getting those reps and seeing what the offense could be because you saw the offense starting to open up with him and another guy who I think could be in the NFL in Darius Victor. Not the biggest guy, but he probably runs harder than anyone in the XFL did. Um, in his short time, it never really started, but in his short time of being the lead carrier, um, he found his way to be fifth in the league in rushing yards, and uh, and he could catch the ball in the backfield a little bit. He, he was a guy that was starting to emerge with Perez. Oh, yeah, totally. And if you listen to like any of my previous podcasts, you know I was not a huge, the biggest fan of Luis Perez. Um, I remember his time in the AAF. He was really inconsistent to me and couldn't seem to find the end zone. So I was calling for Marquise Williams because of ath- athleticism kind of things, and I felt like him as an athlete could really open up the offense. I'm happy to be wrong. Luis Perez really brought a calming presence that I underrated moving into this. I underrated the, his ability to calm down an offense and really um, make plays. I was looking more from just a film perspective and not like kind of a mental perspective. And I would love to have him back too. I'd like to see personally the Guardians bring in some QB competition for that because I do believe that um, Luis Perez's arm strength still leaves something to be desired. But he does bring that calming presence and he really opened up this offense, like you said. So if he does come back as day as the day one starter, I wouldn't be mad either way. Um, I just do feel like that, especially in a league like the XFL competition is really big at any position. So you should always try to bring in talent. And then you brought up Darius Victor, who also surprised me because coming into the season, I wasn't high as, as high on him because I really love Justin Stockton. And I do believe he does need to get more burn, especially going into next year. But Darius Victor really showed me a lot more burst than I saw on his college film that I really liked. He's never going to be the guy that really gets 50 to 80 yard touchdowns. Um, I said this in one of the previous segments for this episode, but 
he's going to be a guy that gets a lot of 10 to 20 yard gains because he has that really short area burst that allows him to get just enough separation around the edge to really get to the second level and then just be a bowling ball with those DBs. And that's what I found to really like about him. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I don't think any of the guys, I I don't know too much about Justice Stockton going into, going into this year. Um, but he was impressing me and those later, latter two games. Um, he looked like he had that extra pop that maybe that possible breakaway type of speed, but, um, Victor and cook are very similar running backs with Victor. I thought being a little bit more effective, but I thought they had three guys that can wear down a team. And I thought when Stockton was starting to get more playing time, I thought this was going to be their identity. They're going to wear you down, wear you down. And then I, I was hoping, and I actually, I really liked the way he played, especially um, it was on special teams, but that kick return that he had where he burst it through um, after, I believe he was fumbling it or whatever. It was a bad, uh, a bad catch, but um, the way he recovered and was able to break through that, I was like, this guy's got, got something here. So I think as the team and as the offense would have gone along and they got a little mix of the three of these guys, um, and then obviously the insertion of Luis Perez, I thought this could have really, really been an offense that was ready to explode. And that was what we were waiting for for those first four weeks. It was just like, when is it going to happen? Even that, even that win against the Wildcats, it wasn't pretty, but what Perez did was move the chains. And what he did big time was keep Josh Johnson off the field. And sometimes that's your best defense. Oh, yeah. So that was, I thought that was great. And I agree with you. The beginning of the year, we were, me and the guys at football game plan, we were calling for Marquise Williams from day one. We loved what he did at UNC. Um, just when you have a talent that can do both, like you can throw and can run the way he did at UNC, there's no way you can't figure it out. And we were actually kind of skeptical on Gil- Gilbride and Mangus and how they're going to, if they can coach a guy like Williams and fit him in an offense. But, um, but it was good to see that Luis Perez finally fit in. And I think Marquise Williams, you're going to see somewhere, if it's not with the guardians, you're going to see him playing somewhere with a coach that knows how to use them. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And I'm still the book's still out for me on GA Mangus, but I did think Gilbride did a good job handling some of the pressures of that really slow one and two start that led to their three and two start. How did being at practices when you were at those practices, what was Gilbride's kind of presence that those practices like? Was he more of a very vocal leader or was he more of kind of the calming presence, the guy that was there just like kind of help these guys out? Oh, definitely the second part. You, you could, he was definitely a, uh, a calming presence. He sat behind the quarterbacks. Um, he was sitting in the middle of the field while they did their drills and just kind of took it all in. He let his coaches coach. And, uh, and I think, I think it says a lot about him that even in times when they were struggling big time, especially in the offensive side of the ball, that he didn't take over the play calling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm with you on Mangus. I, the jury's still on him for me as well, because I, it rubbed me the wrong way, the way he threw Marquise Williams under the bus. I believe it was the battle Hawks game. Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember if it was the Battle Hawks or yeah, it was definitely them. Game three, um, the way he he got them down the field, and then I mean, you got to take advantage of the situation, and you have to understand the league you're in, and in the league that the the XFL is, you can talk to the coaches can talk to the players up until the snap. So there's no reason why if you felt like Marquise was making the wrong read um, on a certain play, and you you weren't telling him, and then you're gonna throw him under the bus on the. Uh, in the uh, broadcast when they interview you, I just didn't like that saying the quarterback didn't make the right read. Like you're, you're a coach. You're trying to win a game. Why don't you tell him the right read then? So that tells me that you're either throwing him under the bus or you didn't know either. So that threw me off on him big time. Um, But I did, uh, but as far as Gilbride, I thought I agree with you. He did a great job when they went one and two and it looked like the wheels are about to fall off. He's definitely a guy who 
is used to that New York type of pressure and falling behind or below expectations, you could say. And, uh, and he handled it really well. I thought he kept the, he had a little bit of spark um, at times. And I was talking to some of the players, they said that he really went in on them after that battle Hawks loss and where you want to be. And even in the Wildcats locker room uh, at halftime, he, he went in on them a little bit, but not to a concerning point, just a, you want to do this or not. And uh, I thought that was the perfect attitude to have for this team. Oh yeah, definitely. And we talked a little, I just asked you a little bit about that practice. You talked about Gilbride's presence from a player's perspective, who was really the vocal leader offensively. Cause when I think of Luis Perez, he's not exactly the most vocal leader. So who really was a vocal leader offensively for this team from a player perspective? You know what? I got to tell you um, those last couple of weeks, it was Perez and I was shocked by that. And that was, what uh, what really drew me to him as well was his leadership qualities. I mean, he doesn't show it though, which is like which I, I get from your end. Like I saw it in practice, and I saw it um, the way he commanded his guys and talked to his guys on the sidelines, in the huddle, on the field. He was really running it when he was the guy, and um, I thought that was what they were missing in the beginning. It was McGloin in the beginning, and uh, McGloin was the presence. He was the big quarterback that they signed and he was going to be the leader of this team and uh, he, he did have that presence he wasn't so vocal but you could his aura there and the way he was talking to the guys he was definitely the leader um, but Perez really stepped in when he took over that game against the Battlehawks it seemed to be the practice leading up to the Wildcats and the practice uh, leading up uh, last week he was the um, he was the guy and uh, he, he really not from a rah-rah scream standpoint but just kind of Let's do your job, and we'll get this done. You trust me, I'll, we'll get this done type of guy. And it was it was really interesting to see. I even felt that presence when I got to interview him. He just demanded his atten- your attention, and he just commanded the entire time. Man, I've listened to a lot of people talk about quarterbacks. Some of the guys I listen to the most are guys like Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah, really prominent voices in the um, NFL scouting world. And... Mm-hmm. They do talk a lot when it comes to quarterbacks, that it factor, that guy that demands your presence. And it's really interesting because I never saw Luis Perez as that kind of it factor, demand your presence kind of guy. But it's really interesting to hear from your standpoint that he was that guy when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. And so we've been talking about offense so much. Let's talk about the little bit more productive side of the ball, the defense. At those same practices, who was really the vocal leader there? Who would seem to really step up in times when the, maybe the defense wasn't performing as well in practice. Right. And that, I would say it, it was Jamar. It was Jamar Summers. Um, he was the, he was that loud rah-rah guy. He was the one that was making practice really loud. He, he would talk crap to you, to those receivers. He was the guy that if they ever needed him just in a pinch with the third string to just run in on the offense. And they would have sometimes have a couple of corners uh, play, uh, play wide receiver. And he, if he made the catch, he would let you know. He, he was that guy that was, keeping the energy up for sure. Uh, I would say between him, I, I actually, everyone else was sort of quiet. You had a couple of D linemen guys like, um, like Mabu and a couple other players that would talk a little bit. They would, you know, they, they looked like they were having fun. Uh, but Summers was, was the guy. He was the guy that uh, everyone gravitated to. Hey, that's, that's actually really cool to hear. And I know you interviewed a lot of those guys on the team and you probably talked to a couple more off camera. Who was your favorite guardian to really talk to and like kind of glean some of the information about the game from? Uh, that's a good question. Cause everyone I talked to was, was really, was more insightful than they thought. They didn't treat it like an interview. They almost treated it like some of them treated it like a whiteboard session at sometimes. But uh, 
Uh, Perez definitely, from a leadership standpoint, was fun. Uh, the way he was talking, and the way he, his confidence, I would say, though that was the biggest thing from Perez talking to him. His confidence. Um, Pearson, overall, just his story, how he got here, and uh, just kind of what he was able to do on the field. And I mean, Pearson's a guy that you could tell. Maybe not. You couldn't tell he was frustrated, but you could see this guy is open a lot, and he wasn't getting. If he was on a couple other teams that were short quarterback, maybe a team like LA or Houston, this dude would have been putting up some really massive numbers. Um, I think you could see almost every drive, every other drive, he was oh, he's creating five, six yards of separation. Um, so hearing him talk and just his overall confidence of the team and the offense and where it's going, uh, he didn't seem like he wavered at all, and he just kept playing his game. He knew what he had to do, and he just kept doing it. And that last game. Uh, he catches the big ball for the touchdown and ended up having a very productive day, 5.95. Um, finally, it was like, you know, like you could take a breath. Like, it's going to happen, and it's going to keep happening. Uh, talking to him, he was a fun one. And uh, Joe Horn, too. I talked to him, and uh, he was just really fun, very animated. And you could tell he just loved the game. Uh, he was somebody who um, he knows the type of success his dad had. And he knows that uh, it's going to take a lot of work to get there, but he's having fun along the way doing it. Absolutely. That's really interesting about Colby Pearson. You talked about him getting open a lot. I do remember one of during one of my film studies, I was looking at a great throw from Luis Perez to um, Tio Redding, who is a, who's another receiver that I really liked coming out that kind of struggled mm-hmm. a little bit throughout the season, just trying to make sure he catches some of those big passes he has the ability to do. But I noticed that when I rewatched it a couple times, trying to just figure out what I was going to say during it. I noticed in that top left corner that Colt Pearson was wide open. I don't know exactly yep. how it happened because I didn't have the the all 22 footage, but when I was just rewatching, I was like, how did he get that open? And uh, you know, once you go through the games again and again, you kind of notice that kind of trend that he gets open, but he doesn't always get the ball. So I'm excited for him to come back. He's a guy that I could definitely see stepping into like maybe a, a wide receiver two if Mikhail McKay comes back or maybe even a wide receiver one if we don't get Mikhail McKay back next year because Mikhail McKay is another guy that I really love when I watch him play because he has a lot of different tools mm-hmm. that he just needs to put together. But when you went, we're at these practices, I mean, from a coaching standpoint, who's the most vocal coach? Was it maybe CJ Ayu who strikes me as a really vocal defensive line coach or maybe one of the, maybe the one of the offensive coaches, GA Mangus or something like that. Who is really the most vocal kind of get on your head kind of coach? Yeah, to me, it was, uh, the, at least the practice I was, I went to, um, I went to a lot of the walkthroughs at the end. So it was, it was a lot of Jeff McKinnery and uh, Ray Wachowski, the two special teams, quality control guys who were um, kind of running the show as far as talking out the different teams they wanted out, special teams wise, and um, just the different positions and um, different, you know, if he's screaming out hands team, they're screaming out, you know, return right, return all these things, punt team. Uh, but outside of that too, they were the guys that were, that were getting on guys. They were the ones that were, you know, pick it up. Let's go. Let's go. Um, no, you know, no walk in, none of that stuff. So yeah. I would say those two, because I'd say the, the, the more, I guess the prominent roles, the Manguses, the Hermans, uh, Gilbride, they were very, um, just kind of taking it in and you could tell that they were very schematic more than rah, rah. And, and I think it was those quality control guys, at least at the practices that I was at. Now I didn't go to um, a bunch of the middle of the week, like the Wednesday, Thursday, where you really dig in. Um, I, they had the, 
media there, but it was tough to get guys at those ones. And so I just went to like the earlier, the late ones. Um, but those guys were the loud ones there. And it looked like I would guess that was the way it went the whole practice because these guys, uh, it looked like as far as the coordinators go and, um, and Gilbride, they really just wanted to take it all in. Oh yeah. And you brought up Jim Herman, probably being a little bit more of a schematic kind of coach. Um, did you ever get a chance to talk to him? And if you did kind of, what was the vibe you got from him? Cause for me, when I watch him and how he schemes games and watch the film, I really love what he did, putting guys in positions to make plays. One of the things that kind of stands out to me is moving guys like Bumney Rotimini and Jarrell Owens inside to rush the passer versus just keeping them on the outside and moving Drayvon Askew Henry from the slot to outside where he really thrived at the outside corner spot. Did you ever get a chance to talk to him? And if you did, what was he like? What was his kind of um, vibe going forward? I didn't. I wish I did because we were preparing a whole set for the uh, for the coordinators and for the coach. Um, we did get a chance to talk to Gilbride, but we did want to set up a, a meeting with Mangus and Herman um, together and just kind of get their uh, what goes into their game planning and really dig into their day to day. But I agree with you completely. Um, I, I thought he was one of the most impressive as far as schematics wise. I thought he had one of the most impressive. Um, jobs. I did one of the best jobs uh, in the XFL. I mean, just just how you pointed out perfectly, having guys like Rotimi and stuff, it's, just, they don't just have to be outside pass rushers. They're going to find ways to get these guys to the quarterback. They're going to find ways to disrupt things. And um, and they never wavered. I mean, he was a guy that stuck to his plan, knowing that this team's a bend but don't break defense with the capabilities of breaking out. And you saw throughout the season, guys like Kevon Walker and, and some of these other outside backers were starting to really win up front and the D-line. They were really starting to win uh, the line of scrimmage, and he knew that, and he knew what he had in the secondary. So um, he was able to play a little bit more than um, than most coaches, I would say, in the XFL. But he, I thought he did a great job with these guys. It took him about a week or two. After that, defenders lost. Even though they played very well defensively, Just they, they were on the field so much. But after that defender's loss, it seemed like they just felt so comfortable with what they had. And luckily for the Guardians, they didn't really deal with any injuries. So it was week after week having those guys getting more and more reps. It was it was a great thing. Absolutely, absolutely. And we just talked about what they've done so well as a team, especially defensively. And we really have been praising this team. But I'm really curious, moving forward to 2021 in the XFL season, what are some areas you think this team can improve upon? Maybe it's a position group or maybe it's a scheme thing. Where are some areas you think this team can improve? Um, I would say, uh, first off, discipline. And I know it was really just one or two guys that were on a week-to-week basis. Uh, Silverman, definitely one guy that we could all point out, was had his issues with getting in trouble or not keeping a cool head. Um, but that's definitely something. I, I thought there was way too many times that in big parts of the game, second and long, third and longs that turned into first downs because something silly like throwing a flag back at a ref. Yeah. yeah, it was a bad call, but you didn't even give the ref a chance to talk about it. You know, you just you really gave them the first down. It's little things like that, not getting your team off the field. Uh, Silverman, I mean, what, four or five times he was uh, he cost his team at least five yards, if not more. So um, I, I would say from a discipline standpoint, and I'm not going to put that so much on Gilbride, but I think his little lack so on the coaching, not lack on the coaching, but his, his last days ago, a little bit more relaxed coach and just kind of, he tells you how it is, but he's not going to be the screaming and yeah. the most disciplined guy. So it kind of rubbed off a little bit. I would like to see that tightened up a little bit. Um, as far as on field, 
I thought they were pretty solid outside of – I mean, their, their biggest issue was getting the offense right. I thought the receivers did a nice job all around. We've mentioned McKay and Pearson, and you mentioned Teal Redding. I thought they were great. And their two top picks weren't even there the whole year, uh, D'Angelo Yancey and uh, Gentry. I mean, those two guys who were practicing, and Gentry was actually going to get activated. So um, I thought their receiving core was great. Lyman, from, for the most part, played, played great. Um, I would say consistency at quarterback, but it looked like they were getting that. So yeah. it's hard to pick it out, especially only after five weeks. Um, but I thought they could have, I thought they could have gone a little bit more consistent as far as schematically, offensively, and taking more chances. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. But as far as the players on the field, I thought they were building something toward that was going to be great. Absolutely, absolutely, and I can agree with you there. I'd like a little competition in the QB room, of course. I feel like that always pushes QBs to be better. Even if you say, hey, day one started as Luis Perez, bring in a new guy into that QB room and really bring some competition there, which I expect them to do. Um, yeah. I expect them to bring competition to every position. Maybe have a little more, maybe this is me, but a little more like continuity along the O-line. I feel like they did switch up a lot, especially during camp with a lot of trades and stuff, trying to shore up that offensive line. And it worked in later weeks. It's just that beginning of the year, you did kind of see it struggle mm-hmm. from a pressure perspective. I know... Um, early on Marquise Williams, when he did get his playing time, saw a lot of pressure that he had to handle. And so did Luis Perez at times, but I feel like that's one area this team can really get better. And I can't tell you, I was so excited to see Tanner Gentry come back um, healthy. When I watched his college film, I saw a lot of things that I really liked from a route running perspective that were like little nuances and body control and um, taking correct angles and taking advantage of leverage that I really liked. And I was super excited to see him get back. But sadly, COVID-19 had to show up and kind of end the season. But when it comes to next season, um, what are you looking forward to most? And then what can't you wait for when it comes to football? Uh, Well, what I'm looking forward to most for this is what you kind of pointed out before. I thought league-wide there were a lot of trades and late trades. And because of that, we we saw guys like Luis Perez get on the field too late maybe. And then at the flip side, we saw guys like Jack Knoff of L.A. get on the field too soon. And um, I think they, they were traded for each other. And uh, I thought that was that was tough on Knoff. I, I thought Josh Johnson played great, so I'm not trying to knock that. That should have been quarterback controversy. But those kind of things where I think those late trades, how much of the offense did he really have down? And then if, on the flip side, if Perez was the guy the whole time, why not? You know, like uh, why so late in the trade? To, to make that and not pretty much make him inactive for two weeks and yeah. make him third string. Cause you make a trade for a guy like Perez, you're pretty much saying, I don't know what I have in Marquise Williams, or I don't know how to use Marquise yeah. Williams. So uh, at least have him ready to go. And also that shows that they wanted real competition from McGloin. Um, overall though, uh, there wasn't really much that I, I would, other than that, that I would really want to see more of um, because I thought they did a great job. And uh as far as the team goes, just get it going earlier. And uh, obviously, there are obvious reasons why they did it. Um, but weathering those storms early on, um, I thought they did a great job bouncing back. Um, yeah, I, I, there's not really much uh, I could say that I would like to see different. I would just love to see a lot of these guys come back together um, if we and see some continuity. And that's going to just be a better product, even though I thought the product was great across the whole XFL. But if you can bring some of these guys, bring back 85 90% of the team, and they have continuity and familiarity with each other. They know how the day-to-day goes. It's year two. Um, I think you're going to see an even better product and more points and just uh, just a lot a lot cleaner football. 
Absolutely. And then I got like two or three more questions for you. Then we'll get you out of here. First one, who are your team MVPs from an offensive and defensive side of the ball? Uh, from a defensive side of the ball, it's got to be Kevon Walker. Um, it's tough, though, because there were a lot of players that showed out. and uh, But I thought consistently he was the best. There was one week where Owens took over the game against the Wildcats, talking two sacks, big-time sacks, hitting the quarterback a bunch, blocking the field goal that ultimately kept them from going to overtime. I thought Rotini was great. And some of the other guys we've talked about um, in the secondary and Ginda and Heaney as well. But I thought Kevon Walker was just very disruptive. And, uh, and he was just a constant presence from week one to week five. Um, he had the four and a half sacks and nine tackles for loss, like we mentioned. But um, he was consistently in the backfield, uh, pretty much living back there. And he, it seemed like it was getting better and better as the season was going on, as if he was getting more comfortable with the guys that he was around and he was getting his footing and understanding of the league itself. So um, I would say Walker from a consistency standpoint, and it's tough for offense because not, not everyone really shined through. I feel like the cop-out answer is Luis Perez because when he took over, he was, he was the guy. But I think I want to lean towards Darius Victor. I just, the way he played, um, the way he ran, it was a different element. Tim Cook was is a nice change of pace back and, uh, they started with him, but when Victor came in, there was actually a little bit of an explosion, like we were talking about. Not so much like the potential game-breaking 60-70 yard runs, um, which I completely agree with with you. I don't think that he's the guy, but he's a guy that was moving the chains, and he was a guy that was, a, a, like you said, a bowling ball that was just anytime you need a short short yard or two, he was getting it. Um, so, from a consistency standpoint, I'll say Victor, but it, it's tougher on the offense because we were probably a few weeks away from seeing some players shine out. Oh yeah. I can hundred percent agree with that. I agree with you on the Darius Victor one for the offensive MVP, but at defensive MVP, I'd probably go Jamar Summers. I just feel like his presence in that backfield really almost eliminated half the field and allowed for a lot of covered sacks throughout the season. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So next question, favorite New York guardians memory from the inaugural season. Ooh, would it be weird if I said Matt McGloin going crazy on the sideline? <laughs> um, uh, this is that's a good one. Um, a lot of good one. I, you know what? I'll have to say week one um, when Summers took the took the fumble for the touchdown. It just seems like uh, you know the Jersey kid and everybody was kind of going crazy. The way the stadium erupted and took that in. The first touchdown from McGloin was great, um, and you could tell there was a lot of Penn State fans in there, so that was a cool feeling. But just the aura of the stadium when it looked like the I, summers is touchdown pretty much sealed the deal. Um, and you know, New York football felt hipper, honestly felt like it was back and we we're going to see something great. And the New York fans, there are all jets and giants fans. And mm-hmm. they really took in this team, um, that first week. And, uh, when summer scored that touchdown, it erupted. And, uh, I thought that was the coolest, uh, moment for the guardians. And I knew that, no, there was more to come. That's I feel, I feel like we got robbed. <laughs> yeah. These, I think these last, these last five weeks, especially three teams at three and two with very similar skill sets. I thought it was going to come down to the very end. Um, and we got robbed of something really good. So I think there were more memories to be made, but, uh, from what I saw, I would say week one for sure with summers is uh, touchdown. I can definitely agree with that. Sadly, I wasn't I was not able to make it to the stadium considering I live on the West coast, but Man, that was just watching on TV. I was just so excited to see us get that, get that win, and especially that moment because I'm a huge D 
defensive back guy. I love watching defensive back film and seeing those guys step up big time and make a play there was probably one of my number one moments of the year for sure. And then lastly, we're going to we're going to divulge a little bit from the XFL and go to a little NFL talk. I remember I believe you're a Jets fan. And I'm really yep. curious what your takes of the NFL free agency has been for the Jets fans. And one thing you can add on there, is there any guys from the XFL that you'd like for the Jets to pick up? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, so far, I'm not going to be the guy that's some of these Jets fans are saying on Twitter that want Joe Douglas's head because some of these players, you know, the Chris Harris of the world and all the other guys that are signing crazy contracts are, um, they're not signing, but I, I've actually loved what he's done so far. He's brought in two very good offensive linemen. If Fant can stay healthy, um, I think uh, Fant's not going to be the left tackle that um, that everyone thinks he's going to be. I think the Jets are still Joe Douglas is still going to go left tackle in the draft and get their future left tackle. Um, so the fact that he can move over to the right side with his athleticism, getting McGovern to play center, there's a glaring need on the Jets is, oh, yeah. is the offensive line. The whole world knows that. They were about 32nd in about every single stat you can be in. So uh, the fact that they they addressed that right away, bringing back a guy like Alex Lewis, having winners already on our contract, I thought it was great. They brought back Poole to, for their nickel. Um, and until something else happens, that's as far as I know. Um, and I, I'm on board with all of that. I, I, as long as they don't overpay for Robbie. Um, yeah. I, I would love to see Robbie Anderson back, but not at like 11 or $12 million a year. So if they can refrain from handing out those Tremaine Johnson type contracts, um, I will be all aboard what uh, Joe Douglas has done. I'm and what was, that, what was the second part of that question? Uh, I forgot already. <laughs> oh, you're all good. You're all good. Oh. Uh, would, is there any XFL players you'd like to sign? You'd see like to see the Jets sign? Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, that is a number. Um Honestly, I would like to see a lot. There's a bunch of uh, Guardians receivers that wouldn't mind coming back, coming to the camp. The Jets had Trey McBride in camp, uh, Sam's rookie year in 2018, and I really was hoping he would make the team. He really impressed me. It's not surprised to see him play well with LA. Mm-hmm. Um, if they can get a receiver of McBride, um, Cam Phillips, uh, some of the other guys that stood out, even a guy like they have a Spruce type guy with Crowder, so an outside type receiver uh, even a guy like mckay gets a shot i wouldn't mind to see some wide receiver depth and um and some guys providing some competition that that really showed out this year i thought a couple of the guardians it was tough to really evaluate that's why i was going by pretty much separation and mckay made some tough 50 50 balls so i would like to see him elevate that but uh just pearson's uh ability to create separation i loved that but some of the guys that were really putting out numbers even dan williams from the vipers I would like to see a couple of those type of guys brought in if they don't go the Robbie Anderson route, or even if they do, just someone else for depth and to, because that's been their problem there. They've had the Robbies of the world and Crowders, but when one of them goes down, it's no names coming in. So if one of those guys can can provide some competition and hold a job, I would love to see that. Absolutely. That makes sense to me. I'm not a, I'm a Panthers fan, so I'm in a little bit of um, mourning right now considering the news that's come out recently. (laughs) I do like the direction the Jets are going. I, I have a lot of faith in Sam Darnold as a quarterback. I'm a pretty big fan of him. He's got to cut down on the turnovers, but otherwise I think he's got the talent to be a pretty good guy, pretty good quarterback in the NFL. And you guys got some, you guys got some tools on defense that may be able to kind of develop here and there, but we're back to the XFL. 
We're just waiting for 2021 season. That's pretty much all I got for you, man. I really want to thank you for coming on. Absolutely. I had fun. And uh, anytime we can talk XFL or football in general, I'm definitely all game. So I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. All right, man. Thank you very much for coming on. I'll catch you later. All right. You got it. Geez, what a fun interview with Alex. It was really great to get to talk to him about the XFL season and the Guardians and what that team was like. But now we're going to switch focuses here a little bit and talk about what I plan to do in the future for this podcast and the YouTube channel I created. If you haven't checked that out, make sure you go to look up the Guard Post podcast on YouTube and you'll find the channel with only two videos up right now, but they're film breakdowns from week four and week five. I'm going to work slowly to get weeks one, two, and three up as well. So that'll be great for you guys to look at, go back, kind of rewatch some of my takes from those games and see if you enjoy them. But what I plan to put up there in the upcoming weeks is going to be really fun. I really hope you guys enjoy it. Um, what I plan to do, I plan to just scout athletes. I know there's a lot of services that do that a lot better than me. The Draft Network is an example and all that stuff. But not a lot of people are doing it for the XFL. So that's going to be kind of my kind of focus. I'm going to be focusing on late round NFL draft players, fringe NFL players in camps and like guys that have an outside shot, maybe of making the 53 man roster, but don't look like they're going to be able to because they're maybe they're at positions of strength for certain teams or other things like that at like wide receiver, all these different positions. So I'm going to be doing a lot of that and I'm going to focus on QBs early. Like right now, I'm planning on doing a James Morgan video next week. Um, a quarterback out of Florida International University, really talented athlete. And I'll go into some of his deficiencies and why I don't think he may end up making an NFL roster and why the Guardians may, I mean, not a team, but a team in the XFL may end up with him and his talents moving forward. What I expect from him, what I like about him, what I don't, and everything like that. And I'll be doing that for a couple different quarterbacks, guys like Steven Montez, Kelly Bryant, a guy from Tyler Huntley from Utah, different guys like that that may end up falling out of the league or not making the league and may end up trying the XFL as an extra year to develop and get better. I'll be looking at guys like those, and I plan to do weekly videos. This may lack every once in a while due to homework or school concerns, but starting next week, I'll be doing weekly videos. The first one's going to be about James Morgan, a quarterback out of Florida International University, and then I plan to do bi-weekly podcasts, which will be have XFL news, hopefully interviews with players and personnel from the team, and then just general kind of takes, maybe recaps of some of my scoutings, interviews with other people that have talked XFL just to talk about what I like from a quarterback, maybe some guys from outside the XFL that I really respect their opinion when it comes to sports and their analysis of quarterbacks and stuff. I'm going to do my best to get these different kinds of guests. I know it's the off season, but since there's not a lot of sports to talk about, hopefully they'd be willing to talk to me kind of a smaller guy out here, but that's what I plan to do with the podcast. And then videos on YouTube are going to be film reviews and scouting stuff where I look for traits and different things like that. Um, a guy I look at, if you want to see what I draw some inspiration from is Matt Waldman. He's on YouTube as well. He does a great job with his film reviews of quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends. He does a great job there. I've been watching a lot of those recently, kind of get what I plan to do with mine in there. Um, and if any of you guys are really familiar with OBS studio and, or like kind of, teleprompting, write, drawing stuff on 
there using creating lines on OBS Studio, I'd love to talk to you because I want to learn that stuff too. And I'm trying to find resources. It's all very confusing to me. I'm not the most techie guy. I'm really learned a lot through this podcasting thing. So it's been really good if you guys could help me out there as well. And I'd love to talk to you about that. But anyways, that's what the plan is for the future. I plan to really create a lot of content there and really kind of grow on that side of that on my scouting side. I'm going to work on understanding offensive line play and I plan to do film threads as well. The film threads that are going to go on YouTube are going to have a lot more clips. They're going to be a little longer. I might try to have those about 15 to 30 minutes long while I have probably five to 10 minute long clips on those Twitter threads and then the link at the bottom. So you can go check that out on YouTube for anything you guys didn't see because I want to keep putting those out on Twitter because you guys seem to really enjoy that but I'd love to get the content also onto YouTube and try to build up a foray of content there so people can discover and go back and watch those film reviews and other stuff to kind of get a feel for my style. It's something I really look forward to doing. I really love watching football film. I love learning more about football, learning more about the game, picking up on tendencies, discovering different things about players because that's what I want to do with my whole life. So that's what I'm going to start doing more and more, and it's going to be really fun to delve into and really find hopefully the next XFL star and hopefully – I, we can pick him up on the Guardians because a guy like James Morgan, who I've looked at a lot and I really have started to like, is a guy I could see slating into that gar- into a Guardians uniform in the future as that as that future quarterback. So hopefully I can find those hidden gems, see if they end up in the X and XFL or maybe even the NFL. I don't know. I'm still working on this projection thing as well. I'm not super familiar with it, but these fringe guys. I think are going to have a good chance of possibly going to the XFL versus being on a practice squad. And I'd love to see what happens there, but really that's my plans for the off season. That's going to be the end of this episode. I really want to thank everybody for continuing to support me. Uh, Wayward Spartans, a great example. Uh, Mike Mitchell from XFL board, fantastic articles, really great guy there. Um, Alex Marinoni for coming on this episode. It's been, it was really fun talking to him and it's been really fun. Maybe talking to him more later into the season, just kind of, kind of making him a friend of the podcast. And I really appreciate everybody else that's interacted with me. And as you know, I'm a Panthers fan. There may be some NFL talk on this podcast in the future because we're running out of things XFL to talk about. We're kind of in a dead space for that. So you can see me talk about them a little bit and my frustration with that team and whether I'm going to be a fan in the future. I don't know right now. They handled the Cam Newton situation miserably. So I don't know if I'm going to be a fan of them in the future. You can see me become a NFL free agent in that sense. But... You could hear me talk about NFL talk a little bit and kind of talk about, and I'll do my best to connect that back to the XFL and my understanding of running a team and stuff like that. But this is the end of the episode. Like I said, make sure you guys are able to follow me on Twitter at TGP underscore podcast on Instagram, where I'm going to try to put some of those film reviews on there. Actually, it's little kind of snippets there um, at TGP underscore podcast on on Instagram. You can email the show at the guard post podcast at gmail.com. Try to get better at monitoring that email. I've been pretty bad recently about it, but I'm going to do my best to get better there. And then YouTube, look up the guard post podcast on YouTube to find any of my videos that I'm be putting up over and over time. And make sure you guys leave a like, subscribe there, and then make sure you guys leave a leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts for me to get my show a little bit more out there so I become the first thing that pops up when they people look up New York Guardians. I'd really appreciate that. And then I want to thank everybody for listening. It's been a really good, it's been a lot of fun this season. I've really enjoyed having you guys along for the ride. Thank you guys so much. Stay on duty, Guardians fans. We'll be back for 2021. I can't wait.